Jews return to Zion, and a comet fills the sky. The Holy Roman Empire rises, and you and I must die. For everything known, there is something unknown. On this night, Mr. Thorne, God has given you a son. For every blessing, there is a curse. I was at the hospital the night your son was born. I witnessed the birth. For everything holy, there is something unholy. What do you know about my son? Everything. For every evil, there is an omen. <laughs> 20th Century Fox presents The Omen, starring Gregory Peck and Lee Remick. I need to see a psychiatrist. I have fears. I have such fears. What kind of fears? What kind? Oh, if I told you, you'd put me away. It is a mystery beyond human solution. No! No! This is not a human child. It is suspense beyond human tolerance. Have no fear, little one. I am here to protect thee. It is a warning mankind has feared for thousands of years. It is the omen. From the eternal sea, he rises, creating armies on either shore, turning man against his brother, till man exists no more. If you believe in good, you must believe in evil. If you believe in heaven, you must believe in hell. If you believe in the beginning of the world, you must believe in the end of the world. You must believe in the omen. to the Splatterhouse Podcast. We're your hosts, Ryan. And Sean. And today we're talking about the 1976 classic Antichrist. Wait, no, Birthmark. No, we're just kidding. We're uh, talking about the 1976 classic The Omen, directed by Richard Donner. Uh, those were, of course, the uh, original working titles to the uh, film before it actually uh, was uh, shot. And Sean was telling me how uh, apparently... Those were pretty much too much of a dead giveaway. Yeah, they those were the original titles of it, and then I think the, I think there's even a picture I found of a clapper that was like had birthmark on it, but it gave away too much of the the film. Which we will be discussing this film in detail. So if you've not seen the movie and don't want any spoilers, now's the time to run for the doors. Yeah, and. Uh... If you're uh, sticking around, of course, grab yourself your uh, crucifixes, your Bibles, and your holy water, because it's about to get a little uh, demonic. So, yep, you have been warned. If something frightening happens to you today, think about it. It may be the omen, which is the original tagline on the theatrical poster. So, of course, this was uh, directed by now famous uh, Richard Donner, who sadly has uh, passed away this year. Uh, directed many great films such as The Goonies, Lethal Weapon, Scrooge, Tales from the Crypt Ritual, uh, which is one I've actually seen. It's been a long time, though. <laughs> and, of course, uh, Superman with uh, Christopher uh, Reeves. Yep, and I guess the popularity of The Omen was what got him the Superman, which was a very protected, like, a lot of people went through that. And then, of course, I live about 45 minutes from where they filmed The Goonies, and it's, I mean, it's in the DNA of this, of the two states up here of Washington and Oregon where I live and 
you go in there and like the whole town there's Goonie memorabilia everywhere the the house is still there the jail is still there the, I mean even Chunk's bowling alley is still there and I mean everybody in that town knows this man's name so it's kind of crazy which it is kind of odd too especially um you know, a lot of people, you know, know of Richard Donner because, of course, of Superman, the Goonies, and the Omen, and all the other movies. But, you know, of course, like poor Toby Hooper, uh, whenever you say Poltergeist, people even to this day say, oh, it's a Spielberg film. You know, he ghost-directed it and stuff when, you know, Richard Donner, he didn't get that uh, treatment. Granted, you know, Spielberg was tied to the uh, Goonies, but it's always, you know, been referred to as a Richard Donner uh, film granted Spielberg did uh, executively produce if I'm not mistaken correct yep and he was on he was on location and stuff out here um I've talked to some of the locals and stuff that like actually met him and stuff when he was out here because I mean he was coming up from obviously Jaws and all the you know big E.T. was huge close encounters of the third kind mm-hmm. so like he was obviously very very well known and you know like there's still with the story, there's been so many films filmed there that, you know, Short Circuit, um, Free Willy, <laughs> um, The Beach where they filmed it, The End of Point Break was filmed there, um, Twilight was filmed there. There's just, there's so much stuff that's been filmed up in this week. So, um, like, you know, you hear all these local stories and Spielberg was is really tied into that local history up here as well. Just right. as much as Corey Feldman is. <laughs> Yeah, I love uh, some Corey Feldman myself. So, going through the cast, of course, we've got Gregory Peck as uh, Senator Robert Thorne. Uh, We've got Lee Remick as his wife, Kathy Thorne. We have David Warner as the uh, photographer in the film. Who was evil in Time Bandits, one of the greatest films ever made. We have also Billy Whitelock as Mrs. Baylock, who was the evil nanny in the film. Uh, we have, of course, Harvey Spencer Stevens, who was Damien Thorne, a.k.a. the Antichrist. I can't stand that kid. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He's second behind the Babadook kid. <laughs> uh, we've also got, of course, uh, Patrick uh, Troughton as Father Brennan, who, of course... Uh, Throughout the film, constantly tries to warn the senator, but, you know, he doesn't uh, accept Christ as his savior, drink his blood, and eat his flesh. Um, Martin Benson as Father Spoleto, who actually convinces, of course, Mr. Thorne for the adoption. Leo uh, McKern as Carl Bugenhagen, which he actually uh, comes back in the second and the third uh, Omen film. He's one of the only reoccurring characters other than Damien in the entire franchise. And then the last two, we've got uh, Holly uh, Palace, who, of course, is Jack Palance's daughter. Yeah, the great Jack Plant. Plants, yes. Uh, we have uh, Sheila Raynor as Mrs. Horton, who uh, is actually, if you're a fan of A Clockwork Orange, such as Sean, uh, she was Alex's mother in A Clockwork Orange. Huh. See, I did not know that till you were just, and then I, I highlighted it, and there's a picture of her. Yeah, she's um kind of an eccentric actress, so and she fit the Clockwork Orange stuff so much, and I didn't even realize that's who it was when I watched it the other day. Hmm. How many times have you seen this movie? Honestly, I think in total I may have seen it at least three to five times that I can recall. Okay, I've, I've seen it three times. We were discussing it kind of off air where I'd seen it on VHS years and years ago and then saw like a heavily edited TV version and just got to watch it the other night when Ryan recommended this be the first one that we do because not a lot of podcasts do this film or talk about this film, so... What better way to start is with one that's considered, you know, like a, a great, like, you know, top 50 greatest horror movies of all time. So, Right. And um, as far as, like, the times that I've seen it, so, of course, it wasn't until um, I saw the remake back in 2006 uh, that actually, you know, piqued my interest of The Omen. Granted, at the time, I was maybe 10 or 11 years old whenever it came out. So, of course, just like uh, if you listen to the introduction episode, after I saw the Texas Chainsaw remake, I went and I watched the original. And uh, I watched it, I think it was like an old DVD from Warner Brothers years ago. And uh, after, of course, uh, Shout Factory uh, released the uh, box set, I uh, had to go and grab that 
to uh, watch the rest of them. Full transparency. I still have not seen the second or third one. I've seen the fourth. I saw the remake in theaters, I think maybe once or twice. Um, I actually really like the remake of this. They added on to it in a good way. I felt um, I think Lave Schreiber, is that how you say his name, is really good at it. I'm not a big... I'm not a big Julia Stiles fan, but and the kid w- made the movie way more tolerable. Um, as a as a father of three kids, an annoying child on camera is not something I want to sit through when I finally get to sit down and watch a movie. So <laughs> anybody that's a parent will tell you that they don't want to sit and watch a movie with a screaming kid for two hours when you're getting time away from screaming kids. <laughs> Well, I guess uh, let's jump into it. So, of course, uh, the first big thing is uh, Robert Thorne. He is in uh, Rome, and essentially his wife's getting ready to birth, and then a uh, pastor comes up to uh, him and tells him, you know, that the baby died during uh, delivery. But, however, there is a baby that was just born, and the mother died uh, during the uh, birth. And, uh, you know, maybe you could just not tell the wife and just, switch uh, babies and she you know wouldn't notice or care <laughs> i mean how, number one how does that happen in any time period you know like I, I realize that this is supposed to be set in the 70s but how i mean and you got to remember that this is atticus finch from to kill a mockingbird you know gregory peck that's who it is to everybody like how i never per- would perceive him as somebody being you know to be taken by something like that and I guess mm-hmm. that's what that that kind of threw me for a loop right away on my last watch of the film. Yeah, I remember uh, it wasn't the first time I saw it, but the second time I saw it, and I just kept asking myself, like, you know, first of all, like, how does one get away with that? And number two, um, just why would like you even suggest something like that? I mean, granted, you know, of course, you know, like after. You know, maybe the mother finds out, you know, maybe then, you know, adoption, but just when yeah, even the mother doesn't even know. Yeah, and what you forgot to mention is that the guy at the time is an American diplomat that five years later is the ambassador to the United Kingdom, which that means that the guy's educated and very smart. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, he does all this behind his wife's back. Like, that kind of kind of sets up for what, you know, like, I already didn't like him, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, which segueing into, uh, you know, five years later, too, uh, little boy Damien here, uh, he's having himself, of course, a birthday party. And as we all know who have seen The Omen, there is the infamous, Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Where of course she uh, jumps off and hangs herself from the you know house while all the children who are sitting there you know eating their ice cream, riding on these little trains and little carousels are just stopping there and staring. They're not even like you know freaking out as much as you would think they actually would. Even the the adults, 15 seconds before any of them react, because I don't think they thought it was real. I guess mm-hmm. like I don't know that whole scene too is is really weird with the reaction times and everything. So. I mean, but it is a very powerful, you know, scene in that movie. It's it's within like I think like the first ten, fifteen minutes of the movie. Yeah, you're literally right seeing away. someone like jump off a building and hang herself. Like the only other movie I can think of that starts off even similar to that is City of Living Dead by Lucio Fulci with the preacher who uh, hangs himself in the cemetery at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. After that, uh, Robert Thorne, he's getting harassed by the press. You know, photos are being taken and everything. And, uh, of course, uh, one of the photographers, Keith uh, Jennings, he was at the party. He takes photos throughout the party. Um, he also takes uh, photos while Mr. Uh, Thorne is going to his office where he uh, comes across uh, Father uh, Brennan, who accompanies him constantly throughout the film um, up until his untimely death. Well, I don't know if it's untimely because I mean it's kind of foreshadowed quite a bit. Uh, he was warned. He he was warned through the whole movie. Like there's just yeah. people yelling at him, "Hey, you're gonna die!" And he's like, "Yeah, so what?" He doesn't, you know, <laughs> the whole movie. He just like, how many warnings can you have that death is coming for you and your entire family and that you ignore? So, I mean, kind of what I was mentioning uh, a while back too. I mean, shoot, uh, ask uh, Crazy Ralph in Friday the Thirteenth. 
Good to care blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph. Get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. Yeah, well, <laughs> but there's a difference between crazy Ralph and someone that's, you know, a messenger of the church coming to you and saying, you know, like, true, true. <laughs> yeah, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. Mark my words. He goes home and all three of those things happen. And he's just like, he's upset about it. And then the guy comes back. And he's like, Oh, I'm not going to listen to you. You're crazy. It's like, <laughs> yeah, he's not crazy. You're stupid. Right. And then um, during that time, too, of course, Keith Jennings starts to kind of put two and two together when he develops uh, the photos in his lab. Which, Which he is—he yeah. is an early, early paparazzi. Like it's—it's yes. it's one of the earliest paparazzi I've ever seen in a film where he's following around and just taking pictures. I mean, he even gets his camera knocked out of his hand at one point by Gregory mm-hmm. Peck. So. Yeah, and there's of course the uh, slow uh, realization that apparently every time you know certain people their photographs being taken, you know, there's these weird marks. Um, on that person, which is kind of a clear indication of how they're uh, apparently going to die. Yeah, which is what, like we were talking is one of the coolest things about this movie. The way that the photos, when he's developing, like it's like an error. Like he's like looking at the film stock, trying to figure out if it's the film stock or if it's the film paper. And you know, like the the nanny when she hangs herself, she's actually got a little noose right around her neck yep. in the photos. Yep, and preacher. He has a, a straight line coming from one shoulder all the way through uh, to his waist, essentially where um, later on he gets uh, impaled. Yeah, which I'm like, the first time I saw that, I remember that was the scene that kind of stuck out where I was like, how the hell did they do that? It's like when I saw Cannibal Holocaust trying to figure out how they impaled that woman. Uh, You know, I still don't know how they did it. Um, It has to be in reverse, obviously, but... Yeah, it just it looks so real in the in the it's not like the decapitation scene where you can tell that it's fake. You know, there's some special effect at work there that is not Tom Savini for a change. For sure. One of the moments, too, that kind of made me go like a, you know, WTF is uh, the psychiatrist scene where um, Kathy goes and essentially is trying to figure out because she feels like that Damien is going to hurt her and. It's going to hurt the baby, and, you know, Gregory Peck's character, Robert's like, what baby? You know, and then come to find out uh, Kathy is pregnant. And the psychiatrist, for whatever reason, suggests to uh, Robert is, oh, you should abort this baby. Um, This baby will cause problems between your son and um, with your marriage and everything else, which, first of all, that to me indicates that this guy has to be an agent of Satan. In the film, I mean, he ha- he has to be working with Damien to know that essentially it's going to cause a problem, you know. Just like how, yeah. of course, the the preacher apparently come to find out later, he apparently was an agent of Satan because he has the six six mark on uh, his autopsy when they uh, actually show like some of the photographs. Yeah, I noticed so. that too. The thing too that you're there's a a thing in here that just to show you how inept as dad that this character is he hires a new nanny that shows up at the house unannounced they haven't interviewed her haven't talked to the service that she's showing up and she Mm -hmm. just shows up and starts taking care of their kid and he lets this happen so does the wife and then he walks in the kid's room to say goodnight and there is a hundred pound rottweiler sitting in the corner that he did not give permission to come into the house as a dad of three kids there is no babysitter coming over to my house with a Rottweiler that's already growling at one human being coming in the room. And it, that's through the whole movie. I mean, that that nanny is constantly trying to tell them how to raise the kid and all kinds of things, which would never fly now. Like, Oh, no. Oh, my God. You are not telling me how to raise my child. That's exactly what would be told. And, like, back in the 70s, I guess, I don't know if it was more, like, non-frowned upon or whatever, but... I mean, There's then again, lot. too, it is a nanny, and of course, uh, you know, Robert, he would be essentially out on business, probably doing, of course, you know, political things. As far as Kathy, you know, it's not really told, like, what she does as far as, is she, like, a stay-at-home mom? Is she got something that she does? Like, it's, it's none of that is ever revealed. So, yeah, that whole issue with the nanny, like, you, I just don't see the same thing you're saying, anybody uh, letting that slide. Well, especially when the nanny before that hung herself 
at your kid's party. Like, right. I'd be like, you know what? We need to interview just a little bit better on the next one. And then, you know, this crazy bitch shows up and they're like, oh, yeah, it'll, it'll be okay. <laughs> so, yeah, there's so many holes in this plot. And that's one of the things if you go in and start reading reviews, either people love this movie and it's because of the kill scenes and because of the, you know, the edgier story for the time that the movie came out. Or they absolutely hate it because of all the plot holes. And... I like the movie, but there's so many plot holes that it's it ranks up there with the M Night Shyamalan, you know, signs where the aliens are coming to the planet, you know, covered in water, but they 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 get hurt by water. It's there's that many plot holes in this thing that, especially right. as a, as a dad, I'm like, no, that can't happen. Which uh, speaking, one of the things you pretty much said everything like what I like about the film. I also like, of course, the atmosphere, the kind of. Uh, Impending doom and the shocks, yeah. The, the, film. the film, the film, um, the way that the camera moves and stuff through a lot of it, like we were talking about the graveyard sequence, like there's so much atmosphere that they're adding to the film by the way that the camera moves through it, and that's one of the the things I did really really like about it. It has a feel to it, like old Hollywood like, films do. Right, which um, of course after um, the whole psychiatrist and everything. Um, good old Keith Jennings and Robert Thorne decide to go back to Rome. They find out a hospital has been burnt down that Damien was born at. All the records have been destroyed because of that. And apparently the uh, preacher that actually uh, convinced Robert to uh, do this whole adoption, you know, under the table adoption, I guess, if that's one way you want to put it. Um, he apparently is some crazed monk who apparently, again, is another agent of Satan. Uh, who, of course, turned his back on God and uh, comes around, you know, and tries to repent for all of his sins and uh, come to find out, again, you're going with the uh, cemetery scene, The uh, he tells me, like, where, essentially, the mother and the uh, child is buried. And, honestly, that scene, when uh, Gregory Peck's character, Robert, when he gets to the cemetery... And he opens up the grave where it's supposed to be the um, a child of his. Uh, you can clearly see that if there is this uh, puncture in the skull. So they had to have killed his yep. child. To and replace he just, it, yeah. And he just gets so heart. They murdered him as soon as he was born. And he also sees also in the grave is the cor the carcass of a jackal, which he realizes is actually Damien's mother. Yeah, the uh, grave next to uh, where I guess Damien or whatever. Well, not really Damien. It would be his biological son, where Damien technically should have been in the ground instead of uh, being hooked up with uh, the thorns. But uh, yeah, it. Rattweilers and all the other dogs, of course, come out of that uh, cemetery. And that scene, as a kid, freaked me out because even to this day, when it comes to big aggressive dogs, they still freak me out. Granted, yeah. I am a I'm an animal person. I've got you know a couple cats, and I you know have been around dogs you know too my life. But you know like a big hundred pound Rottweiler, um, a Doberman, something like that. That mm -mm, no, <laughs> that's yeah, one of my fears to get chased. Yeah, like, and I saw this stand by me back in the day, oh, like, goodness. you know, so I mean, like, I I'll instantly, like, you know, I would have been running, I don't do big dogs, we have a chihuahua, and that's as big as I'll do, I don't want a big dog, my wife would love to have a big Rottweiler in here, nope, yeah, it's just, I'm not interested, <laughs> and I think this movie may have something to do with it, I mean, every time they show up, I mean, and they're, if, if I remember right, he's got Rottweiler showing up outside of his home, even before the nanny that we were just talking about shows yeah, up. Yeah, so that Rottweiler is the same one that um, the nanny, Mrs. Baylock, actually lets in the house to be hmm. Damien's little uh, pet. Uh, that's the same uh, Rottweiler in the beginning. It's, and, it reminds me of the Lost Boys, the Hounds of Hell. Like, he needs that protector there, you know, not because he's a vampire, but because he just needs that, that protection right. when even she's not around, which that dog would do it. Right, and uh, all those uh, other dog scenes, too. Before, of course, they even go to Rome, his wife, after being warned, Damien is riding his little tricycle all throughout the house, and 
knocks uh, Mrs. Thorne over the uh, railing of their uh, second floor of their house and basically breaks her arm. I think she's slightly concussed and she loses the baby. Yep. Which is what spawns, which, of course, the trip to Rome. Yep, which then she ends up getting put in the hospital, which Mrs. Baylock shows up and throws her out a window, like, in one of the craziest falls out of, you know, like, it's what is it, like the fifth floor she falls out of and falls on top oh, of an ambulance through the ceiling. <laughs> it's I something. It's higher than the fifth floor. I mean, like, it was a huge hospital. I just recall, it just seemed like she kept falling forever and ever. In yeah, and it's it's one of those scenes, and then, like, she goes through the roof of the ambulance onto the gurney thing and, like, is just laying there. And then uh, the part that got me is the phone call afterwards is upset, but it it's like he'd already been warned that all this was going to happen. <laughs> and he, like, I'm sure he's just going through, like, oh, I can't believe that this, you know, I can't believe this is all going on. But yeah, warned numerous times. And of course, uh, one of the things, too, is uh, Keith Jennings keeps hounding Mr. Thorne about, like, what was, what was that uh, man that the preacher kept telling you about? Oh, I can't remember his name. I can't remember his name, but then, of course, it comes to the point to when his wife dies for him to remember, oh, yeah, his name is Carl Bugenhagen. Like, what kind of, like, how can you forget a name like that, Bugenhagen? <laughs> exactly. Well, and, yeah, this, yeah, and then about this time in the movie is when it kind of goes pretty much all super, I, I guess, I don't know if you'd call it supernatural, but, you know, he goes and he talks to... I don't remember who he's talking to. Um, he's going to uh, talk to uh, Carl Bugenhagen, and Bugenhagen has Keith Jennings, of course, like leave them be, and uh, gives him Carl, the daggers. Yeah. yeah, Carl Bugenhagen gives him the daggers, and he's like, "You must find the mark on the child." And he's like, "But I've went all over the child everywhere." Well, you need to look again, even like in the hair, and that of course where he finds the mark later in the film, but. Um, he right gives him all these daggers. Yeah. And he gets, he's like, I'm not going to kill a kid. I can't do this. Like, and he throws those daggers, and um, David Warner's character ends up getting decapitated by a sheet of glass, which was warned about through the entire, like, that's how he kind of introduces this. Like, well, I've got all these pictures of these people, but I'm involved in this. If you look, when I take a self-portrait, there's something going across my neck here. Like I'm involved with all of this as well. And that's mm -hmm. how he kind of gets tied up in all of this, which he is just great in everything he does. So like, I was kind of glad that they took him along for the ride for a lot of this stuff. Oh yeah. Um, he does a great job uh, portraying uh, Jennings as the uh, photographer for sure. Great hair, great hair through the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, after Jennings is uh, decapitated, uh, Mr. Thorne, of course, hops on an airplane and he travels back to uh, the UK where he is deciding, you know, should I kill my kid? Is he really the Antichrist? You know, and thinking all this stuff over his head when clearly, you know, the answer should be yes, kill this little kid. Kill the little bastard. Exactly. Right. And uh, once he gets there, figure out, like, okay. There's Mrs. Baylock, and there is also the giant uh, Rottweiler he has to take care of, which luckily he locks the uh, Rottweiler, I believe, like down in a cellar of the house or something. Yeah. But that scene with Mrs. Baylock after he's going through Damien's hair to find the Mark of the Beast, which is, of course, 666, when she just comes out of nowhere, you just hear that high-pitched like, scream that she does. I remember yeah, she's, the kid. She's something else in this movie, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't she like grab scissors or something and tries to stab has, him with it? He has scissors because he's cutting the oh, hair. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so he, he's cutting the hair on the kid while, you know, giving the kid a complete makeover. And <laughs> yeah, and I'm looking through like, so the only other thing I've ever seen that she's been in, which Billy uh, Whitelaw, she played the voice of Agra in The Dark Crystal. I did not know that. Oh, wow. Oh, and she also returned to film in a comedic turn as Joyce Cooper in Hot Fuzz. 
So she's in Hot Fuzz as well. I don't remember where she's at in the movie because I guess I've never I've, I haven't seen this movie enough times. But the Agra thing is kind of cool. Like I think I've seen Hot Fuzz maybe once or twice, but it's been over a decade since I've seen it. It's a great uh, film. Great film. Yes, especially uh, we were talking about off camera the whole scene with the the uh, doors and the uh, tapes. <laughs> I saw that movie in the theaters and I disliked it greatly. And then I I revisited it a bunch of times on, you know, VHS and then DVD and then Blu-ray. And I love the movie now. There's so many funny scenes in that film that it's. I think it's underrated in that trilogy where, um, obviously Shaun of the Dead is the superior film. But oh yeah, for sure. Back but, to the uh, Omen though. <laughs> back to the Omen. Which that, we forgot second. to talk. Um, I think it was when I think I cut you off, but we, you were. We forgot to really talk about the the kill scene, which is, um, with the pole falling off the church onto the the, um, the preacher that's warning him throughout this entire film. Yeah, uh, Father Brennan. Yeah. Oh, and that scene, that's the one that sticks out. The beheading. The decapitation thing, you can kind of tell that it's a fake head. The hanging scene, big whoop. But when you see that pole fall off the top onto Father Brennan, it's like you're trying to figure out how the hell they did it. And it's such a great scene. And he's getting chased by thunder and lightning, basically. <laughs> Running like hell, like the guy from the great outdoors to get the hell out of the, you know, he's afraid of the lightning that bad. Right. You think he'd been struck by lightning before the way he's running. <laughs> Right. But uh, going back now to the uh, ending of the movie, uh, Bugenhagen w told uh, Mr. Thorne that essentially he must kill the Antichrist on holy ground. So he has to, after taking care of Mrs. Baylock, um, he has to essentially throw Damien into his car, hang on to Damien, make sure he doesn't squirm off, I guess, or fall out of the car while he's driving away. Which, yeah. of course, his uh, police, for whatever reason... Uh, see him speeding off that are his guards and are chasing after him which i don't know like yeah. why you would do that essentially if you were a guard i mean like you would probably question it but the sense that you literally get like all the authorities involved like so quick i think that they were um because there's a cop that was involved at the end if i remember right i think he's like investigating some stuff in with all the deaths and stuff yeah maybe. he he is investigating like the nanny's death i believe and um I don't think he has any involvement, though, like with uh, Father Brennan or, of course, with uh, Keith Jennings. But definitely the uh, nanny. There is that investigator at the end uh, yeah. in the church. But I'm talking about, like, the whole police car, like how it just escalated so quickly. How many uh, units responded oh, to that? Yeah, it's like a fucking Grand Theft Auto. Like, right. It's like he instantly sudden... got at least three stars just for pulling out of his own like driveway. Well, yeah, it might be because of who he is and then the kid, like, they may not know what's going on. And then, True. you know, like, she's in there screaming, which, you know, you scream in my house, my neighbors are calling the cops. So, yeah, there's, it's another one of those plot holes that just kind of, they, they, the pacing on this movie is extremely well done. There's not oh, a yes. whole lot of fat that they need to cut out. Um, right. Every scene is in there for a reason. There isn't any, you know, and even during these scenes is when you're getting your character development. They don't have any, there's no fat to be cut. Inclu so, I mean, I think a lot of it, they jump from point A to point B to save you time. So uh, he gets to the church and, uh, and right as soon as he goes to raise the dagger. aims as soon as he goes to lunge boom that's the end of uh mr thorn unfortunately Which we find out earlier on in the movie that damien is pretty self-aware of who he is even mm -hmm. at five years old and he you're not getting him into a goddamn church they're trying to take right. him to something to do with the church and he is he like flips out and then they 
the mom takes him to a wildlife park and like all the animals yeah. are picking up about how evil this kid is and the animals start attacking the car. I mean, there's, there's scenes in there that the kid isn't reacting very well to all this. So then the car ride over there is just, you know, complete hell. That part, yeah. <laughs> but he's, he's still so goddamn annoying through the movie. Like, mm-hmm. you know, even even his playing, there's a scene where the mom has had, I don't remember if she's had the miscarriage or not, but he's playing with the pool table. And like, even my oh, wife was before, like, yeah. Yeah, my wife's like, this kid's annoying. which i was reading about him uh harvey spencer stevens like he spent like a year in jail here recently like in 2017 because he did like a road rage thing in in his home country with uh i don't know where he's from i didn't read that part but he uh got out and attacked two guys and beat the shit out of two guys at the same time and ended up spending a year in jail because of it well, maybe the Dark Prince was uh, giving some power and influence over him in that uh, decision. Can you imagine uh, the story of that, though, afterwards? Like, so, well, who beat you up? You ever seen The Omen? It's that little kid. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's who beat me up. No way. Really? Like, that yep. <laughs> the only, yeah, the only thing that would be better if it was, like, the kid from Home Alone or the kid from Dennis the Menace, you know? <laughs> I got beat up by Chunk from the Goonies. Um, then according, you see the funeral of Robert Thorne and Kathy Thorne, and of course, uh, little you know boy Damien in his little kind of Angus Young-looking outfit turns around, <laughs> and smiles that little shitting grin at the camera, you know, knowing like aha, my plan has worked essentially, and he's uh, taken off with uh, the president of all people in the world, the president of the United States, uh, takes him and escorts him to his car and of course that's the uh closing of the uh movie yeah this uh, that kid needed his ass whooped a few times but it was <laughs> and it was the 70s he totally could have done it on camera and everyone would have applauded it and then they would have just went right back to playing with the pool table which like i've been like get away you're gonna fuck up my pool table <laughs> right <laughs> which it's funny you did mention that of course damien seems to be aware of his powers in this movie uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of a preview of, you know, The Omen 2, if you decide to watch it, or if we decide to do a review of it, uh, Damien is not aware of uh, his powers in the second movie, and he's actually, like, 13 in the film. Well, it's, it seems like he's self-aware, though. Like, you watch oh, the movie, yeah. and you're like, he knows because he, he instantly attaches to that to that oh. nanny, which the nanny is sent there to protect him. is. Mm-hmm. You know, and you kind of find out, obviously, like you you covered, like when they opened up that grave, you know, they had killed his his actual son. They had killed and then replaced Damien into this family, which maybe he was picked because of there's even I think the wife makes a comment, you know, you could be president of the United States. I think she makes at one point. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, maybe like I think he was chosen for the fact of where he was. And then you put the son in there and the son has influence and the son of Satan, which, right? Um, well, not not really. He's not really the son of Satan, which is something we were talking about before this, that this movie was so popular when it came out that um, a lot of people think that the Antichrist is actually the son of Satan when it actually doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible at all. Um, it just says an agent of Satan. Um, it could be anybody that's an agent of Satan. So, But this movie was so popular that in popular culture now, a lot of people think that the Antichrist has to be the son of Satan. And it's not, it's just, it's from this movie that it changed the way people think even about their own religions that deeply in, because the movie was that popular. Um, it only made 60 million at the box office for, you know, in 1976, but it was made on a $2.8 million budget, which I'm going to tell you right now, if you haven't seen the movie, the kill scene alone would cost somebody $2 million now to just to CGI that thing falling off the church through him. Oh, yeah. And the cemetery scene, the lighting on that, like that whole scene, if, if you haven't seen this movie, when you watch it, like the way that it's lit, the way it's shot, everything about that whole scene is just, it's gorgeous. It, it's and gorgeous and terrorizing at the same time. Yeah, which speaking of, uh, of course, you know, the whole um, debacle there with like the whole Antichrist and stuff, even too nowadays, you know, the name Damien is associated with, you know, 
the Antichrist or an yep. evil child or something along those lines. Yep. I had a drummer who his wife had named their kid Damien. Um, I don't know if it had to do with this movie, but we always used to joke and she'd get mad about it. So <laughs> <laughs> like legit, like I've actually known someone in my life that named their child this and it, you know, that's not why I just liked the name. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into uh, some of the vinyl and also the just score in general of this film. Um, yeah. If you're, um, if you didn't listen to the intro, um, both of us are huge vinyl fans and, um, Ryan especially is into like the Blu-rays and the, the home video stuff on it. So um, we're going to, on each one of these, we're going to discuss, you know, some of the cool stuff that's out for the movie, whether it be the latest Blu-ray, the latest vinyl release, some toys, which I don't see there ever being any toys from this thing, maybe of the kid, but. I think there you know. might be, um, if not, they're like some home brewed action figures. Yeah. Um, well, and I was going to talk like, so. This movie actually won an Academy Award for Best Original Score for Jerry Goldsmith. Um, it's a straight-up horror movie, and I looked through. I can find two horror movies that have ever won Best Original Score, which was Jaws in 1975, which is totally warranted, and then The Omen won in 1976. The only thing that's come up since, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, was The Hateful Eight, which isn't a horror movie, but the entire score was retooled from The Thing, and so that's as close as we've come since 1976. I mean, 46 years, they, you know, there's been no horror movies that even come close, I don't think, on any of these lists. That Maybe, you know, like, there's been a lot of sci-fi and stuff that's won, but... Um, and it's also Jerry Goldsmith, his only um, Academy Award. He's been nominated a ton of times, but he was also nominated that year for Best Original Song for the the song that you hear under the credits with the, the chanting. Which I think isn't it also like part of the opening to the film that same with the whole uh, Gregorian chants. Yeah, which uh, and also, um, if you if you're a fan of this movie and do not know, there's a band called is Mike Patton from Faith No More with the um, the guitar player from the Melvins and the drummer from Slayer, and they did a whole album called the Director's Cut of horror and film. They do like metal versions of like The Godfather, but they did that song of the omen and it's killer um it's just as good as the original matter of fact i would love to see it recut into the film <laughs> that, i mean it would be kind of cool to do something like that i think the only movie that i can recall where they've done anything like that uh was the original nosferatu and with typo negative yep yes with typo negatives music it fits that movie so well for some reason for a film that's over 100 years old yeah which, and yeah, that's very, very, um, I had a VHS of that years, years ago. I have a DVD. And it, was the only, it was the only way to get that movie for years. Um, and now, like, obviously, I think it's uh, public domain and, like, everyone's just releasing stuff of it left and right. And Right. Which, that movie is amazing. <laughs> as far as uh, vinyl releases, I know, of course, uh, Death Waltz, uh, they've done... A, a release which that's a, a sub label i believe of mondo if i'm correct yep uh spencer hickman started that and then i think he went and uh, mondo bought it i think is how the story goes and he kind of works for mondo now but they did it's got some really killer artwork on there from phantom city creative of the the jackal um skeleton and the baby on the front and then i think there's a rottweiler on the inside of it um, yeah. and then the back has got all the credits and stuff are like an upside down cross, but they did it in three different variants. There's a black, um, red with black spots, which was random. There's only 200 of those. And then there's a translucent red with a black stripe, which I actually own that one. And it, Varese Serum Band, I think is how you pronounce it. They just did a, in 2018, they put out a, um, the, the original 12 tracks that came out way back in the day which was limited to 666 copies on white vinyl. It's basic package. It's got the one sheet on the cover, which 
The one sheet's not is actually pretty great, but nothing is compared to that death. The death waltz and mondo version of it is so great. Yeah, unfortunately, the death waltz one is uh, out of print, and it has been out of print for quite some time now. Uh, personally, though, as far as the music goes, I really like the music in the second one. Music for the first, second, and third uh, film were all composed by Jerry Goldsmith. Yep. And, like, I don't think that the second... Nothing past the first one has been repressed any time lately. Like, so you're looking at original copies, you know. I I don't see them ever doing, like, a a box set or anything for this, like they do for the Blu-rays and everything. So, and I know that Varese owns the rights to it, and sometimes... Rumor has, I haven't had to deal with them yet with my label, but I heard that they can be, they want you to do really high numbers and everything. And I think that Death Waltz did this before the floodgates opened with the, you know, represses of every film. So they were able to work something out. Resurgence in interest in vinyl too, in general, for, yeah. you know, scores. Yeah, because I mean, Spencer with Death Waltz was the first person doing it, where he was doing some of the John Carpenter and a lot of that Italian stuff that you hold sacred. I mean, he was putting all that stuff out, and it just kind of expanded where other people started putting out film scores and stuff, and I think this was put in right before that that big boom that we saw about five years ago, 2014 when that hit. Yeah, so, I mean, that, Almost that's a decade. A long time. Yeah, <laughs> so it's eight ago. years. Yeah, I didn't even realize that, but um, stuff like uh, Varius put out the deluxe edition on CD that had extra tracks in 2016, and I think for 2016 there was also a 40th um, anniversary edition that had seven additional tracks on it that had never been heard. So there is still stuff being found for this film, you know, as of you know five years ago, six years ago. So you never you never know. I mean, the Damien the Omen two may be released someday on on it. I haven't. I've only heard that score once, and it was, it's not bad, it's not the best, you know, Jerry Goldsmith, I mean, you think about it, the guy did Star Trek, Rambo, Planet of the Apes, Chinatown, Gremlins, um, Alien, Poltergeist, Legend, you, you think of all those movies, and like, and he also did like, I think he did the Mummy, Brandon Fraser ones, I mm-hmm. think he did those too, but, yeah, I mean, just the, even like, his score for First Blood, like, oh, like it's, there's so much good stuff that he's done in his career that still hasn't been repressed. So, yeah, yeah. Again, I would say as far as like the Omen soundtracks, though the second one, I just hold it a little bit dear. I guess it's just the music to it. Uh, but I think it's like also like the co- like the crow cause in it. I don't know the the effect of that. Like however he got that noise, it's like whenever you hear that noise in the movie. You just know, like, some bad stuff is... Yeah, and and I remember, too, like, um, Marco Beltrami did the the remake, which on 6-6 of 06, I, I saw that thing in the theater that day, and the score on that thing was bumping. I mean, he did an excellent job on that, too, which I would love to see that get pressed. Um, Marco does a great job, and he's very involved with all that stuff, but it's 20th Century Fox, I think, owns that, so it's probably Disney at this point, unless somebody else bought it at the time, so, yeah, there's a, there's a, definitely, a, you know, an area where they could press a bunch of these and get them out, even if somebody did CDs of them to get the, the scores back out there, but. So, I guess moving on then to uh, as far as physical media goes, um, as of right now, there's only two ways you can get this film. I mean, granted, you know, you can go out and get like older, you know, DVD copies at like secondhand stores, uh, flea markets, eBay, and places like that. Or, of course, you can stream them. But again, for like physical media collectors, um, the two that I would recommend, there is a older Warner Brothers release that came out. It only comes with uh, the first, second, and third Omen with the remake so for some reason they didn't include the fourth one with the awakening which it's how, how should i put this it's not that great i'll just leave it at that. <laughs> it's bad it's i think it was like shot for uh, television if i'm not mistaken in canada 
and yeah. then uh, they brought it over to the U.S. and they done like a very small, uh, like I think limited run in theaters potentially, or they done like direct to uh, video or something with it here in the U.S. But I remember it was like made for television for sure. I when I saw it, like I I felt like it was. Um... It was like that Call the Conqueror movie where it was supposed to be the next Conan movie, but they couldn't get, you know, so they just threw another name on it and filmed the movie mm -hmm. anyway. That's what it felt like, where it was just, it wasn't supposed to be part of it, but it, it is by name only. Like, I, I don't know. I, I just didn't, I, I didn't dig the movie. So. Right. Which the, um, the Warner Brothers set, I've seen it typically go for about 20 bucks, which it isn't bad for Blu-ray copies of it. I mean. For, but it's not, of course, like the best packaging. It's like this really soft kind of cardboard uh, packaging. Plus, all the discs there in um, this sort of like digipack, where essentially you open up like this booklet type thing, and all the s discs are basically into like these like integrated sleeves inside the packaging inside. And personally, I'm not a fan of those types. But the one that I was the most, you know, that I really like that I have is uh, Shout Factory or scream factories uh the omen collection they came out with the deluxe set, uh back in october of 2019 and um for one i mean you've got kind of little nods to all the movies in a sense on the front well not all of them you've got like for example like nods to the first two you've got damien and the rottweiler on the front with some tombstones for the artwork and then some crows flying around the background which is really really nice um Currently, you can get that from Shout Factory for fifty four ninety nine, but occasional. Ooh, it's on sale right now for twenty bucks someplace. I just saw it this week. Oh, that was uh, di uh Don the Disc. Did. Yeah, it was Don the Disc that posted that. Uh, however, though, when I clicked on it today, it shot back up to fifty four bucks. Yeah, if you if you really want it, just watch it and follow your prices on a couple of your sites because it it hits twenty bucks about a couple times a year. And I've even seen it at Walmart for twenty bucks. I didn't buy it. They had that in Critters here recently, and they were twenty bucks a piece. I, I grabbed the Critters instead. <laughs> I love Critters too. Um, I actually have that set, the Fly set, and the Omen set. I surprisingly got those less than thirty dollars a piece. I think the Omen one I got it from Walmart for about thirty bucks. Which again, like you can check on, of course, their website and stuff. They'll sell it there. Uh, Amazon will have it. Of course, check out places like Deep Discount. Uh, Deep Discount is a pretty awesome place to. Uh, they usually have sales going on like five percent, ten percent, all the way up to like twenty, twenty-five percent, and coupon codes and such. Um, also, Diabolic DVD is another great place to check out. Um, even Grindhouse Video. They're actually uh, just moved uh, to my state. Surprisingly, I was really uh, shocked whenever they moved all the way from Tampa, Florida, to Knoxville. I so, I really love their their whole business model, everything that they're doing, I love. Um, they're grabbing these crazy movies that you wouldn't think would, you know, sell as many copies, and they go through and they clean them up. It's like the Criterion edition of drive-in movies, and, you know, so. Uh, yeah. Um, one of the things I do want to touch on about that uh, Omen box set, though, is the bonus features just for the first Omen. Uh, for one... The original Omen from 1976, it got a brand new 4K transfer from the original negative, which was approved by Richard Donner. Um, granted, it is not like a 4K UHD, but for a Blu-ray, I mean, it's the best the Omen has ever looked. Uh, there's some great specials, such as The Devil's Word, which is an interview with uh, David Seltzer, who was the screenwriter of the film. There was a uh, interview with Holly uh Alice, it's the all for you special it's just an interview with her about her time on the film and she talks about her father a little bit too and how of course she got involved in the omen uh one of the most interesting ones i think sean you would enjoy is uh the devil's music it's an interview with christopher young talking about jerry goldsmith and his legendary score to this film and also yeah. other films oh. do you love myself some christopher young of course especially uh, when it comes to hellraiser for me and then, of course, there is audio commentaries with Richard Donner, editor Stuart Baird. There's one with filmmaker Brian Helgrid, audio commentary with film historian Nick Redman, Jeff Bond. There's actually the isolated score tracks. 
uh, Richard Donner on the Omen basically talking about it. And then there's all these other features such as the Revelations and what we're going to get into in a little bit, Curse of Coincidence, which talks about a bunch of the uh, curses associated or what they call curses associated with the film. Uh, there's actually an interview with writer David Seltzer because uh, he's the one who essentially produced the uh, script to the uh, film. And um, there's also a bunch of deleted scenes. Uh, there's actually an interview with Wes Craven on The Omen uh, talking about it. Jerry Goldsmith in one special feature also talks about uh, The Omen score. Again, Sean, if you're interested in some of that stuff, I would definitely uh, check that out for sure. Yeah, I'm looking right now, and um, the only way to stream it the Omen is available to stream as part of Paramount Plus, which is four ninety nine a month, or you can get the thirty day free trial. Um, I had it on Vudu. I think it was on sale for like five bucks, and I picked it up here a while ago. And I, I have the remake on there as well. I'm gonna have to check out the other ones. Uh, you're t- saying that they're some of them are good. I, well, I saw part four. I'm not. There's no way I'm buying that, but <laughs> I'll check out two and three. Sam Neill is in part three. I will watch just about anything with that man in it. So. Yeah, definitely uh, check it out for sure. So, about the whole curse of coincidence, let's yeah. uh, talk about some of these uh, lovely curses that so, are apparently associated um, with it. Shudder has a wonderful te- – well, it was wonderful. I loved the first season of The Cursed film. They kind of went off rail a little bit and then brought it back home on the second season where – I mean, they, they did Wizard of Oz and Cannibal Holocaust in one season. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just to kind of give you an idea where they were it seemed like they were grasping for you know curses that weren't really curses when they covered f- five films that are you know could possibly have that and then they ended it with cannibal holocaust which there's a lot of crazy shit that happened on that one but um sure. some of this yeah some of the stuff i found and granted i found this stuff on the internet um you know take it with a grain of salt like one of them i found that was not covered Anywhere was uh, Gregory Peck's son committed suicide right before he started filming The Omen. And his agent, who was friends with some of the people that were making The Omen, talked him into doing it as a way to get his mind off from what he was going through in life. And he did this movie because it wasn't just straight up horror movie. It was a psychological thriller, which was not really a thing at the time when this movie came out. Mm-hmm. So some of the other stuff that I found just... Uh, um, Peck, along with the writer, uh, David Seltzer, and one of the producers were on planes that were either struck by lightning or had near misses while they were filming. Um, The crew had planned to charter a plane to get some aerial shots. Um, They had ended up switching planes at the last minute, and the plane that they didn't take ended up crashing, killing everyone on it. Um, Richard Donner's hotel was bombed by the IRA the day after they shot the safari park scene. I thought that was actually a cafe that they were going to for lunch, if I'm not mistaken. It says the hotel. Like, that's what I it, was able to figure out. It may be a cafe in the hotel then, but yeah. I thought I heard um, about a cafe they were going to lunch for. Yeah. That's so, like the next day, his hotel or wherever he was at was bombed, but the zookeeper that was working there was killed in a lion area the day after as well. Um, the, one of the stuntmen was attacked by Rottweilers during the graveyard scene, but they managed to bite through the protective gear, and I guess they really messed him up. Um, one of the other things, which was, uh, we were talking about the decapitation scene earlier, the special effects director that, his name was John Richardson, um, he was with his assistant in the Netherlands where after they ended up, they were filming a movie called The Bridge Too Far, and he was in a car accident and actually was decapitated in the same way that he had to come up with the special effects for the movie. Those are some of the just some of the curses that were going on during the filming and um, after the film. Which there's some people that were on the film that actually believe that the whole film was cursed. So, as far as the Omen, again, after you know, you said you haven't seen it that many times. I haven't seen it that many times either. Granted, I said like three to five times. What would you say you would give the Omen if you were doing like a three to five star or one to ten um i would like right in the middle i'd give it like a three i i understand why at the time when this yeah when this movie came out there you know it kind of created its own genre a little bit with the psychological horror a little bit more um i mean the exorcist had been there but the the exorcist is a whole different monster compared to Mm -hmm. this um 
Yeah, if this is a Rottweiler, that thing is like an Irish bloodhound. I mean, fighting it. <laughs> it's, yeah. So, yeah, I give it a three out of five. There's a lot of plot holes. Um, if if I saw it for the first time, like, recently, if it was the first time, I would have been yelling at the screen a lot, you know. <laughs> so there's a lot of plot holes in it, and it asks you to take a leap and go with it to get from point A to point B where, you know, there's not a lot of filler on it, but... It's not a horrible movie, and like I would recommend if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's definitely um, a movie that you're going to want to see if you check this one out. And then the remake, although it's a remake and people frown upon remakes, it's not a bad film. There's a lot of very enjoyable, like I had fun with the remake, so... Yeah, I mean, there's there's some remakes, you know, that are good. There's some remakes that are bad. There's some movies that are good and some movies that are bad. So, you know. Yeah, I keep seeing this meme on Facebook, like, let's start remaking. If you're going to remake movies, let's remake the bad ones. And <laughs> instead of these movies, like, I, I don't, you'll never see me go to a theater to see a remake of Jaws. It's not happening, you know. Right. And there's, like, I guess there's a remake coming out of, um, a couple of the the bigger movies and stuff like the, I think The Exorcist is getting a remake. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I I don't know, man. I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either, but I mean, again, it's, you know, done by the same people who did uh the newer Halloween movies, but you know, I mean, who knows? They they might pull something off at the same time too. Um the kind of Exorcist uh you know, line of films, it's kind of all over the place, especially number 2 is definitely all over the place. <laughs> A horrible movie. Like I, I could not. I couldn't even watch it. I own the vinyl because it's Ennio Morricone score. Right. That's the only reason. Otherwise, I wouldn't even own it. So it's. I did not like the second one. The third one is a remarkable film on its own. You know, everybody always calls to the big jump scare in it, but I think that they are forgetting the performances. Like John, uh, of George C. Scott and Brad Dorif are just unbelievable oh, yeah. in that film, and. I mean that jump scare gets all of the press for that movie but oh, there's a sure. lot there's a lot more going on to it which yeah uh as far as my rating for the omen i kind of have to give it a little bit more than you did i honestly put it if not a 3.75 a four uh, i mean it's we again, doing, we're not doing this half stuff i hope <laughs> <laughs> i'm joking I, i'll give it a four um the reason why is just again it's a classic Granted, again, there are some plot holes and stuff. The atmosphere and just, you know, the pacing of the movie, uh, you know, it kind of just keeps going and going and going and builds up to this, you know, grand finale at the end of it. Um, of course, with uh, Damien almost uh, being killed by his uh, adoptive father. But uh, definitely, uh, if you did enjoy at least the first one, and as Sean said, check personally check out the second and third one check out the remake too uh granted it's i wouldn't say the remake is like a shot for shot like the awful no. 90 remake of psycho because that's a hundred percent shot for shot remake i mean there is a lot of you know things that are repeat like repeated over into the movie but there are some you know different things to it that make it you know its own film yeah it's it's definitely got it's it, there's some redeeming qualities in there i mean it's not the greatest remake of all time, which I mean that we could dedicate a whole show just to arguing over, you know, remakes, which what we think are good and that, and that wouldn't, this movie wouldn't even show up on my list. If you had me make a top 10 list of greatest remakes of all time, this movie wouldn't even show up on there, but it's really good. If you, you know, I, I have friends and stuff that can't sit through movies that were filmed before 1985, but they'd watch the remake. I know a lot of people that are like that now. Like they find the old style, which even if I was to just give it a three, I could give just the graveyard scene a three. Like that's yeah. that elevated that movie that much, and then you add in all the kills. I mean, it, it's a solid. You know, like I, I feel, I feel good giving it that score for sure. I do uh, agree. Like at least a three for sure. But again. The score, the score, the score is the score is a five out of five. If you do not have it in your vinyl collection and you're collecting horror, find yourself a copy. Um, it's it, seriously, you'll you'll thank me for it. 
it'll make your floorboard shake. <laughs> uh, so, is there any uh, closing remarks you want to say there, Shaw, before we uh, decide to wrap this one up? Um, not really on the Omen. I think I've said everything I need to say about it. It's it, it's it's not a bad movie, but it's not the mystique behind the film. I think um, has been built up over the years, and For sure. I'm you know I'm really excited about our show that we're gonna do, which is on the movie. Um, you just saw for the first time recently, yeah. And I grew up with it. I, th- I don't remember seeing, seeing it like right away when it came out, and it was one of those movies that I just rented over and over and over again, like the Monster Squad, you know. So. Right. Which um, we're gonna try to maybe bring on a special guest if uh, possible. Uh, the guest said that, uh, of course, they have a very busy schedule. However, uh, depending, of course, on you know all three of our schedules, uh, we might be able to bring him on board and uh, that would be pretty awesome i think yep possible we'll see (laughs) yep (laughs) all righty well until next time uh this has been ryan and sean and we'll catch you on the next one